our next message. It'll be brought to us by Mr. Steve Andrews, and it's entitled, Out of Egypt, I Have Called My Son. When I thought about Egypt, I thought about pyramids. Uh, I thought about desert. I thought about embalmed mummies. I thought about oil wells. And now I've thought about a lot of gods. There are no gods because God called them abominations. But we know that Egypt has played a, a significant part in the history of, Egypt, of um, Israel. And in fact, before Israel even became a nation, Egypt was in existence. We find that out in, in Genesis, the 12th chapter, in verse 9 through 20. As we see that Abram, even before that he became Abraham, was facing a situation. And let's read it. Let's begin in verse 9. And Abram journeyed, going on uh, still towards the south. There was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he, was, he came near into Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Behold, now I know that you are a fair woman to look upon. And therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see you that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save you alive. I suspect that he probably understood a little bit about Egypt. I probably got around who they were, what they were. Say, I pray you, you are my sister, that may be well with me. For your sake and my soul shall live because of you. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was fair. And the princes also of Pharaoh saw her commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. So before Israel came into existence, because Israel came through the loins of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they came into the land that's called Egypt. And we all know of Egypt today that's still there. And as I said, all through the Bible, Egypt has been a part of the historical perspective of God. Let's just go ahead and finish up here. He entered Abram, well, <clears throat> for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Sarai Abram's wife. So it wasn't the first time, was it, that Pharaoh had received plagues from God. Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why said you she's my sister, so I might have taken her uh, to me as a wife? Now therefore, behold your wife, take her and go away. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, his wife, and all that he had. So we see that right there, beginning of Israel, through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, meets Egypt and Pharaoh, and it was already there. We don't know. Pyramids may have already been built. 
There was already a society, and they were already probably very steeped in the gods of Egypt, in the gods of Egypt. In Isaiah, the 19th chapter, we see that, Israel, that Egypt also has a part in the end time. Now, God uses nations both to correct his people, Israel, and to protect them, take care of them. Whatever is needed, God does it. In Isaiah, the 19th chapter, it's very interesting that in the end time nations, we find what? Egypt, beginning in verse 21, 19 and verse 21. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day, and shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow a vow to the Lord and perform it. There's going to come a time when they're going to get rid of all those gods that are no gods, because they're going to know the true God. They're going to get rid of all of those other Things And the Lord shall smite Egypt, and he shall smite and heal it. And they shall return even to the Lord, and he shall entreat them, and shall heal them. And that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrian shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria. And the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. There's going to come a time when those nations will be a part of that kingdom. And that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land. In verse 25, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. If you go through and you study all the different things that God worked through these, these nations as he used Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and all of the different... Uh, different nations, along with the nation that he loved, Israel. We find out in, also in Zechariah, the 14th chapter, as Egypt saddles itself down into the kingdom, and we know that Egypt uh, has a tendency to be just a little bit on the, on the uh, rebellious side because of their history, and I... I know where Zechariah is. God be in here somewhere. In Zechariah, the 14th chapter, we find that, that Egypt now is a part of that kingdom, but maybe they're still just a little rebellious. Maybe they're just still a little worshiping those things that they shouldn't be worshiping. And maybe they just don't want to bow down to God. And so we find that God still has the power to do what he did, which was to bring any kind of misery upon them. It says here in Zechariah, the 14th chapter, beginning of verse 16, And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and shall keep the Feast of Tabernacles. That day is going to come. All nations will come up. They'll send a representative. There'll be someone that'll come. And it shall be that whoso will ever will not come up of all the families of the earth to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall no, be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up, come not, that have no rain, 
there shall be a plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, we don't know if that's going to happen. We don't know if they will uh, totally repent. But it's written for our understanding, for us to realize that someday that that those nations will be tamed. They will be brought into God's truth. They will be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles or they will receive penalties for not keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. It says in Hosea, the 11th chapter, just one verse, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Where all the children of Israel and all of us want to do is to make sure that we come out of Egypt. We don't want to be a part of Egypt, which represents the sinfulness that they had. And we saw all the different plagues and all the different gods that Reg just replied. God called his people out of Egypt. And Egypt is a type that we are to be called out of. Matthew, the third chapter, we see the type of Jesus also who went into Egypt because, we're going to read this in Matthew, the third chapter, beginning in verse 1. Maybe I want to... Now I went to the second chapter, and I think I gave him the wrong... I wrote down three, but it's two is where I want. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So they knew that the child had been born. Beginning in verse 7, picking up in verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star would appear. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, and I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now, remember, this is not a baby. This is a child. This is is older. And we'll see the age group that Herod thought that the child was in. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream, they stood not, they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be you there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and he departed into Egypt. Interesting. Sometimes Egypt was a haven. Sometimes it was a place to escape to 
famines and different things they would escape to. We're going to see that even more here in a little bit. And there and, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And you look at a couple of places, Exodus 4.22, and, and of course the one we just read, which is Hosea 11.1. 1. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Wow. That was a, all of those children. And then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they were not. But when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to the dream of Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go unto the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the child's life. And I imagine that family protected that child while they were in that pagan environment of Egypt, and God protected them there. But it was a haven because Herod went around and killed all those children. But when he heard that Archila us, Archila us did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream. He turned aside into the parts of Galilee and came and dwelled in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So he came out. For safety, they went to Egypt, but God called him out of Egypt. A type, again, of God's uh, protection and taking care of them. Now, let's go to Genesis, the 50th chapter. Let's go to Genesis 50 as we read the, the end of this. We know that, uh, that Joseph was sold into slavery, but it was for a very good purpose. And he was sold into slavery into to Egypt. And many things happened in, to, to Joseph through the time that he was in there. And God was with him for the whole time. And it was for a great purpose that Israel might, be, uh, might grow and, and be strong and be strengthened during this time. So beginning in verse 20, it says, But as for you, you thought evil against me. And he was talking to his brothers and to his family. And he says, You thought evil against me. But God meant it to, to good to bring to pass at, as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore, fear you not. I will nourish you and your little ones and be comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt. He and his father, father's house and Joseph lived 110 years in Egypt. And Joseph saw Ephraim, his children, in the third generation, the children also of Machar, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. 
And Joseph said to his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you will carry up my bones from here. And so Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, it says that he wanted them to bring his bones up, but he, he was also embalmed as, as the Egyptians were. Now, beginning in Exodus, the first chapter, as we pick this back up here, and we look and we see many years later, he says, Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died and all his brethren all that generation. So in Egypt, they, they all died, that whole generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. In other words, God blessed them. Even in that position and place that they were in, God blessed his people. He said, now there arose a, a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we, Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and come to pass that when they, there falls away, uh, falls out any war, they join also to our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. They built for Pharaoh and treasure cities, Python, Python and Ramses, or Rameses, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, harshness. They were in bondage, brethren. They went into Egypt for sanctuary because there was a great famine again. And of course, Joseph had prepared the, that <clears throat> through a dream. He had seen that. And he had prepared for it seven years of famine, seven years of plenty. And here they were now, many, many years later, and now they were in bondage. Now they were in Egypt and they were under rigor. They were under bondage. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and all manner of service in the field. And all their service wherein there was with rigor. And so they found themselves in a situation in which they were under bondage. And of course, they also had, at that time, they were living in a, a part of Egypt called Goshen. So they were somewhat separated from the rest of the, the Egyptians, and yet the Egyptians were over them, just like in Jerusalem when the Romans ruled over the, the Jews at that time when Christ walked at that time. So they were ruled over. In Exodus, the fourth chapter, we come upon this. And I don't want to get into all of this because I want to, I'm going to bring out some more of this later um, 
in a message before the Passover. But I wanted to, to, to just emphasize the position that Israel was in, in Egypt, the bondage they were under, and the situation that they had, uh, had um, in their lives. In verse, uh, beginning of verse 5 of chapter 4, he says, God is speaking here, um, <laughs> Moses, well, he went before the burning bush and he, he was complaining a little bit to God. <laughs> uh, Moses, uh, God chose Moses. He could see something in Moses that uh, um, maybe Moses didn't feel like he could, that, that he had. Sometimes we're, we're like that, aren't we? we? We don't know why God chooses us for the particular p- position that we uh, are going to have to, to do. It, it, it's interesting that Moses didn't, was a humble man. He was also, he didn't feel like he had the, that he was an articulate man. And so he, what do you do? You, you argue with God. <laughs> I mean, interesting. Um, so he'd already done one miracle. He put his hand in his uh, vest and pulled it out and he had, uh, you know, and, and, and those things. He said that in verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And the Lord said, furthermore, put now your hand into your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. He took it out and behold, it was leprous as snow. He put his hand into his bosom again and he put his hand his bosom again and he plucked it out. And behold, he turned um, again as his, uh, as his regular flesh. It should come to pass that if they will not believe you, neither hearken to the voice of the first signs, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign, and it shall come to pass. They'll not believe those two signs, neither hearken to your voice, that you shall take the water of the river and pour it in the dry land, and the water which you take out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. And Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Oh, you want me to do something I'm not sure I can do. And remember, he's talking to God. <laughs> he was, he, one, he was bold before God, but he wasn't going to be bold before Pharaoh. He just didn't feel like he could do it. Who's made man's tongue, the Lord said? Or who makes it dumb or deaf? or seeing, or blind, not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, teach you what you shall say. God had the power to do that. No, Moses wanted to argue again. Oh my Lord, send, I pray you, by the hand of him who you will send, anybody but me. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron... The Levite, your brother, I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he comes forth to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in the heart. And you shall speak to him, put words in his mouth, and I be with your mouth, with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. And he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he shall be even. He shall be... um, to you instead of a mouth, and you shall be to him instead of a God. And you shall 
instead of God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, and wherewith you shall do your signs. And so we see that God <clears throat> appoints him to do these miracles. And Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go, I pray you, and return to my brethren, which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go, return into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought your life. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go, when you go to return to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart that he shall not let my people go. So already Moses knew that the task ahead of him was a very great task. But it was a great thing that was going to happen. God was promising him to take him out, uh, take Israel out of that land, out of bondage, out of the rigor that they were under. And you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. God claimed Israel as his firstborn son. He was going to take him out of there. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay your son, even your firstborn. That's interesting, maybe right up front, Moses told that. Told him, if you don't let our people go, he's going to kill your firstborn son. And it came to pass by the way of the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him because of the two sons. They weren't circumcised. Then Zephora took a sharp stone, cut off the foreskin of his sons, cast it at his feet, and surely, surely you're a bloody husband are you to me. So he let him go, and then she said, A bloody husband you are because of circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness and meet uh, and meet Moses. And he went and he met him in the mount of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which God had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. We know there's a long story of all the things that they, at first they were very skeptical. They saw the signs, they saw the miracles, but the people were still under bondage. And in fact, after they had, um, he did the first miracle, the bondage got even harder. So they were even under more rigor, under great bondage in Egypt. And God was going to show his power, as we have heard. He was going to, to release those children out from under that, that bondage. We know that those children were released. And that's another story that we will get into later and as we, as we get to uh, the... Uh, I would like to pick this back up um, on, my on my message uh, before the Passover. But in Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter, after they're out of the... After they've made it out, if they were in there for... 430 years, God brought them out of that bondage. 
He promised also that down through the ages that he would bring another one like Moses. Another one that would bring the words of God. Remember, Moses went up and, and, and God talked to him. He gave him the words. He told him, these are the things I want you to, to tell the children of Israel. The children of Israel said, I don't want to hear what God has to say. It scares us. And so, God said, okay, you are the one that's going to tell the children of Israel all of these words. You're going to write my commandments on a stone. Well, I'll write them on that stone. You're going to take it down there. You're going to tell them all the things that I tell you. You're going to give my commandments. You're going to give them the glory and the wonderful things that I'm going to teach you. And of course we understand that down through the ages, Israel rebelled, would not um, listen. God already had that worked out, didn't he? He already had that worked out. He knew that there was a need for a Savior. He said, I will raise up them, in verse, let's, let's do it in verse 17. The Lord said, they have well spoken, they which have spoken. In other words, they said, you know, they didn't want to listen to God and, and Moses um, heard from God saying, they have well spoken that they, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like you and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken to my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And so consequently we understand if we go to Hebrews, the, fourth, the first chapter, we see today Jesus Christ is that one that was sent. Well, Hebrews. I've been here somewhere. Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and different manners, spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Today we're, we're spoken to by, by Jesus Christ. He has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our, our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on, uh, on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. When Jesus came to this earth, he came not to do away with the commandments of God. If you turn to Matthew, the fifth chapter, we find something very interesting. He says, beginning in verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. 
I've come to, to, to live them, to make them fuller, to, to show you how the commandments of God should be lived. He says, Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. He says, Whosoever there shall, therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The foundation was already set. The Sabbath, the holy days, all of those things were already set. That's the reason why you, sometimes you don't see a whole lot of that talked about in the, in the Old Testament. But we understand, we understand that Christ came to amplify those commandments, didn't he? He came to amplify what had already been written down, spoken of, the commandments of God. We understand that if you go through all of Matthew, the fifth chapter, he amplifies those commandments and shows us how to live, how to, how to live by those commandments based on the things that, that uh, he, he was teaching. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So he reiterated the, the commandments of God and amplified those commandments and lived those commandments until the day that his life was taken. And he became for us that sacrifice, that Passover sacrifice. Today we don't do the cedar. We come to the Passover service. We come together. We wash one another's feet. We take the bread and the wine that Jesus showed us. And we'll go into that in a, in a little bit more detail later. But in John, the 17th chapter, and of course we're going to be reading a lot of these chapters on, the, on that night. As we come together, as we gather on that Passover evening to remember the memorial of the death of Jesus Christ. Because that's what it is. That's why it's a solemn occasion. That's why it's time for us to be quiet and, and solemn on that time is because we are remembering the sacrifice that Jesus Christ had to make so that we would have the hope of eternal life. That we could be with God. That we could be, and not only that, that we could actually have a relationship with God. Remember, there was a veil in that tabernacle that they could not go beyond. That Aaron, once a year, was the only one that could go in there. And they got to the point where the high priest had a rope on him just in case they had to pull him out. <laughs> God was serious about that place behind the veil. He was serious about what that relationship. He was separate. And when Christ died, that veil was ripped in that time. Now we are able to go before God. We're able to, to pray. We're able to ask for healing. We're able to, to, to have the faith that God has us as his children and will bring us into the, into the kingdom. In John 17, verse 1, these words here, I just, a short message today, maybe for a little longer message the next time. The words that Jesus spoke 
and lifted up his eyes to heaven. This is his prayer. I'm not going to read all of it because we'll read the whole thing on, the, on that night. We'll read all of it, but I want, I want to just emphasize a few things. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. There is, the two of them work together to bring us into the kingdom of God. There is a loving relationship there and a loving relationship that we can have with Jesus Christ and God the Father. And it's shown in this final prayer that Jesus gave before his, uh, before his death, before his crucifixion. And he gave this to his disciples. And we are his disciples. He says, And this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. You know, like Moses, Jesus heard the words of God and preached those words. When, when he went up against Satan, what did he use? He used the power of the Word of God. He went to Deuteronomy. You can find those words in, the, in, the, in Deuteronomy that he used to defeat Satan. And he did. He defeated him. He was a hungered. He was, he was right at the, at the brink of not being able to survive. Forty days. Can anybody? I tried it one time. Three days. That was it. <laughs> oh, boy. It is very tough. I mean, and as older I get, even the one day seems a little bit difficult. But 40 days. You are hungry. You are, you, you, there's nothing there physical. The only thing that was sustaining him was this power of the Spirit. And he gathered on that power and was able to defeat Satan. And it was words. Powerful words. And words make a big difference, don't they? The power of words, the power of God's word, especially, makes the difference. It is so powerful. Satan had no answer. I mean, he worked behind the scenes, and he was able to, 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 you know, to get Jesus killed, but he was not able to defeat him in that resurrection, and he came up, and he knows that he is going, his judgment is already there, ready for him. All he can do is, is try to, to defeat humankind. That's all Satan can do. Because Christ has already won over him and already is King of kings and Lord of lords and ready to take up his position on this earth and to put Satan away and to put him away. He says, I have glorified in your earth. I have finished the work which you gave me. And now, O Father, glorify me, you me, with your own self, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men which you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them me, and they have kept your word. Now, they have known that all things whatsoever you have given me are of you. For I have given them the words which you gave me, and they have received them, and they have known surely that I came out from you, and they have believed that you did send me. 
That's a powerful prayer, and there's a lot more in this powerful prayer, and I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that point right there. We saw the children who were called out of Egypt. First of all, Israel, called out of Egypt, powerfully called out of Egypt, <laughs> through miracles. And what did they do? As soon as they got across, as soon as God wiped the Pharaoh, wiped Pharaoh out, wiped all of those, uh, all of his army out in the in the sea, folded it up, and they were all gone, including Pharaoh. Yul Brenner might escape, but not this Pharaoh. Not this Pharaoh. What did he do? They they went and they griped. They they murmured. They 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 fussed. They complained. <laughs> Isn't there enough miracles to give you enough faith to understand? Obviously not. These people were, were miraculously brought out from bondage, from the rigor of the Egyptians, and their enemies were killed and destroyed. And of course they did sing a beautiful song on the other side, but as soon as they had gone a little ways, they began to complain. Well, the son, who was called out of Egypt when he was a child, did not complain, brethren. He loved the father, and the father loved him. And he was willing and ready to sacrifice his life for each and every one of you. And so we come upon the Passover time as we begin to remember those days um, that come every year the Passover service, the Days of Unleavened Bread, all that God has taught us and showed us. We see that Jesus is a part of every one of those holy days. The Israelites lived and they probably really didn't understand what they were doing. They knew certain things, but they really didn't understand what God was doing. And understand, brethren, that we do understand what God is doing through the miracle of your conversion, your change, your, your overcoming, your being able to partake of that Passover service, your being able to believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior. So we look forward to those days, prepare ourselves for those days, and we look forward to that time that we can. Once again, remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ.